We are currently on a journey through Acts. We are trying not to call it a series because we have no idea how long it will take. Um, and we also like the fact that it's a journey because I'm going to say this a couple times while we do this teaching today. Because the great thing about journeying through Acts is, don't you love it when you can be let off the hook? I love that. So I'm going to let you off the hook. We're just looking at Acts. That's what we're doing. Like we're not even getting up here and telling you you should do what they did in Acts. We're just looking at Acts. We're just looking at what the church did when it first got started. And then we're kind of challenging ourselves to think this way. Hmm, if they did that and God did this, what would happen if we did that? But we're not making you do it, right? We're just journeying through Acts. So today might be your first time here. You've missed a couple of the, the, the previous weeks. It's no big deal. We just pull the van over to the side of the road. Not like we're kidnapping you. And we slide the door open and we say jump in and we'll, you come on with us, okay? So we're in Acts chapter 2. We talked about this last week. Today we're going to take a little bit more of a, a closer look at what happened in the first few verses of Acts. And let me just start off this way. Let me frame it this way. How many of you love to look at before and after pictures? I love, I brought a couple just to kind of show you what I mean. Let's go ahead and show this first one. Before and after pictures. Now, all the girls just relax, okay? All the girls are like, I like that before and after picture. Um, I just love it because here's a skinny kid, and then through the wonders and magic of Photoshop. No, I'm just kidding. That's the same kid, but wow. That's before and after. I, I think we got a couple more to show you just to show you. I love these kind of things, see people's transformations. Let's see. Another skinny kid who now is... Not skinny and also not at the beach any longer. Um, let's go ahead and flip through these. We've got a couple more. Um, and while he's flipping through, let me just tell you, the reason I like before and after pictures is because they kind of give me hope, right? Uh, I can relate to the guy on the left. I'd like to be the guy on the right. That wasn't supposed to be funny, actually. Before and after pictures are awesome. As long as they go in the right direction. We've got one last before and after picture that probably isn't encouraging at all. Go ahead and show that one. It's, it's our friend Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> see, see, before and after pictures are great if they're moving in the right direction. Agreed? Now, why do we like before and after pictures so much? Because when we see these pictures, we really believe that can be me. Listen, a lot of you are trying insanity. A lot of you bought P90X. You tried it once, right? Every January, people join gyms. Every, every February, they quit going. Why do we do that? Because we see the before and after picture, and we really believe that can be me. I, I found this, just to prove the point that even though most of us would say that the difference between a before and after picture is desire, it's not desire because all of us have the same desire. Okay, let me just explain it this way. This year, 250,000 high school seniors will play varsity basketball. That's a quarter of a million senior basketball players. Of those quarter of a million, 12,000 will receive college scholarships. Of those 12,000, 200 will be drafted by the NBA. And of the 200 that are drafted by the NBA, 50 will be offered a contract. Of the 50 that are offered a contract, five, everybody say five, five will be starters. And of those five, only two 
will be in the NBA longer than five years. Now, if we had a bigger place and we could line up the quarter of a million seniors back here behind us, and I could turn around and ask them one question. If I turned around and said to them, how many of you want to play in the NBA? How many hands are going up? I'm guessing 250,000 people, except for the one kid who has a master plan to be Bill Gates. Okay, I get that. But for the most part, they're all, they, all of them want to. It's not a matter of wanting to. Here's the one difference. This, this is a guy, his name is um, John, John Lather. He's a, a sports researcher. Here's what he said. He studied tons of world-class athletes, tons of regular athletes, and he said when it all boils down to is one variable that separates two from 248,998,000. You know what it is? Time spent training. That's it. I mean, I wanted to read something else, like they were gifted naturally. They had three inches longer legs. No, just time spent training. We could say the same thing about our lives in church. We're reading in Acts right now. Um, Peter, he was a disciple that followed Jesus. The Bible gives us a before and after picture of Peter. Here's the before picture. Just write down John 18, 17. You don't have to turn to it. Let me just describe what's going on. In John chapter 18, verse 17, here's the before picture of Peter. He's like the skinny kid because he's denying that he knows Jesus. Now, Peter's a fisherman, right? Anybody here fish? Okay, anybody catch stuff? Y'all fish? That's cool. Now, Peter was like a big, burly fisherman, like nets, the whole deal, like pushing boats out. He's like deep-sea fisherman kind of guy, right? So he's a big dude. And John 18, 17, the before picture of Peter is this. Big man being asked by little girl, don't you know that man, Jesus? And Peter went, no. Denying Jesus to a girl. Not even somebody who has the power to hurt Peter. Just somebody who her only job was stand by the door and let some people in and don't let others in. That's it. He denies that he even knows Jesus. After spending three years with Jesus, he denies Jesus to a girl. That's the before picture. Here's the after picture. At the end of Acts chapter 2, Peter's standing up. He's preaching to the multitudes in public that he not only knows Jesus, but you guys killed the Jesus that I know. So he's not only preaching, he's ticking them off. And 3,000 came to know Jesus. Before, scared, big Peter, lying to a little girl. After, Peter, standing up in front of thousands, preaching that he not only knew Jesus, but I know that you killed him. So I got to ask the question, what's the difference? If I could line all of you up this morning and ask you this question, which Christian would you like to be? The weak, mousy Christian who's scared of his shadow and scared that someone might tell on you for loving Jesus? Or the Christian who stands up full of confidence and boldness and proclaims that I know Jesus and you believe that God could save people? My guess is all of us go, I like that one. Right? So it's not about desire, is it? I mean, look at the person next to you. They probably want to love Jesus as much as you do. It's not about desire. What gets us from the before picture 
to the after picture. It's not so much a matter of wanting it. It's just a matter of doing it. I'm going to throw all this athletic stuff at you today. What I want you to get, what I want you to get is that one variable, time spent training, is what separated the world-class athletes from every other regular athlete. The bottom line is this. We all want power. We all want power. But having power costs us something. The question we have to ask ourselves is whether or not we value the end result enough to pay the price. Here's your big idea for today. Just fill this in at the top of your sheet. To have power, we have to pay the power bill. Everybody go, duh. Oh, y'all don't know that principle? You've never laid at bed. You've never laid in bed at night and the power's gone off and there wasn't a storm. And you turn to your spouse and go, we, we did pay the bill, right? It's a bad feeling. It's a bad feeling. That's why they came up with bill pay. So you don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. And then you have to turn to your spouse and go, like, he did log in on the computer and set up bill pay, right? If you don't pay the power bill, you don't have power. To have power, we have to pay the power bill. Let me just backtrack for a second. Make, make sure you get this, okay? We talked about last week, the Holy Spirit, it's a gift. The Holy Spirit is a gift. He was a gift then. He's a gift now. We know that from Acts chapter 1-4. We still have to use the gift, right? We still have to open the gift. I mean, y'all do, y'all do open presents on Christmas morning, don't you? You don't just look at them, right? Oh, come on. You don't just look at them, do you? You open their presents, right? Okay, so like if somebody gives you a box, you open them to see what's in it. So it's a gift all day long, but at the end of the day, you've got to take the gift. You've got to open the gift. If you don't open it, you can't use it. If I choose not to pay the power bill, can my house still have power? Yes, it can. Can I use it? No, I cannot. I can flip the light switch all day long. I can cuss out the light switch. I can get mad at somebody because it doesn't come on. But at the end of the day, if I don't pay the power bill, I can't get the power. My house can still have power. I just can't use it. So paying the power bill is not about earning a gift. You don't have to earn a gift. Aren't you glad? Have you ever felt like you had to earn something from God? It's a horrible feeling. Have you ever felt like you had to earn something from somebody else? If you have a job, your answer is yes. Because you have to try to earn the raise, right? You have to put the time in. You've got to be the perfect employee so you can get the raise. God's not like that. God gives us a gift. The gift is the Holy Spirit. That's what happened in Acts chapter 2. But to have the gift, to use the gift, we have to be willing to pay the price. So here's three areas where you have to be willing to pay the power bill. Number one, we pay the bill in our resources. And here's what a resource is. A resource is whatever you have at your disposal. Some of us have more resources than others. Uh, when we think of resources, here's what we, th- we think of time, right? We think of money. Everybody thought of money first. We think of energy. So here's what happened with the disciples. They paid a price in all those areas to get the power of the Holy Spirit. They paid that price. They were told to wait, even though they didn't know how long they'd have to wait, and so they waited for whatever amount of time it was. They spent energy in prayer, Acts chapter 1, verse 14. They spent energy in kingdom matters. After they'd been spent time praying, they, like, remember, 
Phil talked about how they gambled and rolled dice and figured out who would be the next disciple. And they spent energy in that room. They spent money. Um, some of these guys were fishermen. Now, I don't know how, how you would, the Bible doesn't say this for sure, but I'm just going to guess at this. If I said to you, hey, look, I got this great, awesome gift for you, and you're going to really love it, and it's going to be exactly what you need, and all you need to do is go to the coffee shop and wait. If he really wants the gift, he's going to come to the coffee shop and wait, right? And after it doesn't come the first day, and he wakes up the next day, and he thinks, I've got to go to class, or I've got to go to the, my job, if I don't go to my job, I'm going to get fired. If he knows the gift is going to be fantastic, like, say, a couple million bucks, is he going to work? No, he's not. He's not moving from that place until he gets it. Listen, these guys, they spent their resources. They paid the price in their resources in order to have the power. We want to see the world come to know Jesus, right? How many of you would love to see people come to know Jesus? We want to see the world come to know Jesus so much that we put a dollar in the offering. And you're like, no, that's not fair, Paul. You can't say that stuff. Sure I can. We want to see people come to know Jesus, but we'll give a dollar. Maybe two if the preaching's good. They paid the price in their, in their resources. We want to see the same power, the same unity that the church in Acts had, but it, if we're lucky, if we're lucky, we'll get to church twice a month. We won't hang out with the people at the church, but we'd like to have the unity that the people in the church in Acts had. These people paid a price. They paid the power bill in the, in the area of their money, in the area of their time. How about energy? I love this. Man, I really think we should serve the city. But dude, seriously, on Saturday morning, are you kidding? That's when I sleep in. Okay, all I'm saying is we're not manipulating you. We're just telling you the flat-out truth. If you don't pay the power bill, you don't have power. So if we can't pay the power bill with our energy, with our time, with our money, we won't have power. It's really as simple as that. Number two, we pay the bill in our reputation. We kind of touched on this last week. We talked about our tendency to extinguish what God wants to distinguish us. So God gives us the power of the Holy Spirit as a way to set us apart. And so often we don't want to be set apart, right? We would rather blend in. How many of you would much rather just blend in? Raise your hand. I would raise my hand, but then people would see me. I can't raise my hand. I want to blend in, right? We'd really just, we'd rather just kind of blend in, okay? So God gives us power through the Holy Spirit to set us apart. But we don't want to be set apart. And sometimes what we do in church is we say, well, I don't want to be set apart because I'm humble. You ever know people that are like, they seem humble, but they're really not humble? I don't want to stand out. I just, I'm going to just blend in. But the, what they're really saying is, I hope somebody notices that I'm over here blending in and says how humble I am about blending in, right? So what does God do? What does God do? Because he knows that what we, what we struggle with the most is pride. Everybody say pride. It's a, that's a bad word, right? We don't like to talk about pride, but let's just talk about it for a second, okay? This is the part of the sermon where you're going to hate me, and then we'll close it, and maybe you'll like me again, okay? But here we go. <laughs> what does God do? 
because he knows that we struggle with pride. So God does this. He gives us power that has a price tag associated with it that actually takes a swing at our pride. Okay? And here's how it works. Some of us, well, let's, just, let's just read Acts chapter 2 real quick, just the first few verses. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. We talked about that last week, unity. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the house where they were sitting, the whole house. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them began to be, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to stop right there. To this point, we're okay, Right? I mean, we're kind of freaked about the tongues. We talked about that last week, right? A little bit freaked about that, but we're okay so far because everybody's got tongues on their head, right? So we are blending in just in a weird fire on top of our head way. But here's where we all start to freak out. Whether you've read the Bible a million times or this is the first time, when I read the next sentence, all of them were, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Like, I don't care how many times you've heard it or if this is the first time, all of us hearing that, no matter what I say the rest of the day, and it's quite possible you will hear nothing else that I say the rest of the day because we're all asking the same question. Why tongues? Why tongues? Just jot these verses down. Acts chapter 2, verse 4, we just read it. Acts 10, 45 through 47. Acts 19, verse 6. There's three instances in the book of Acts where it talks about people being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and then they spoke in tongues, okay? And then there's one other place. It's Acts 8, 18. It does not specifically say they spoke in tongues, but here's what happened. I'm just going to paraphrase Acts chapter 8. There's this guy walking around who's a sorcerer. I don't know if he's got the big pointy hat on or not, okay? But he's a sorcerer. He's walking around, and he sees the disciples pray for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And whatever happened after that, it was so visible and so powerful that the sorcerer said to the disciples, dude, I don't know what you just did, but I will pay you to be able to do that. My guess is they were speaking in tongues. And the sorcerer went, that's freaking awesome. <laughs> like, I could make a lot of money if you could give me that power, so I will pay you some money to give me, can you give me like your, your 10 DVD set infomercial thing that trains me how to do that? Four times in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit's given to people and tongues follows. And all I want you to know is this. Everybody take a deep breath. We're all asking the same question. Why tongues? Because I know how you are because you're just like me. If we could be God, if we could snap our fingers right now and be God and we could make this whole thing work the way we wanted to do it, here's what we would do. We also would have signs for the fact that people received the Holy Spirit. But they'd be signs like suddenly we'd be good looking. Suddenly we'd have a, a real live money tree that went with us everywhere we went and it always had cash on it. We would, that's, those are the signs that we would come up with. And we could go around the room and all of us could have some phenomenal thing that we'd go, well, I know that somebody's got the power of the Holy Spirit because before they were butt ugly and now they are a model. And how many of us would line up to be prayed for if that was a sign? Yeah. But, you know, whatever sign that we would invent would be a sign that feeds our pride. 
not comes against our pride. Because then we could walk around and go, I'm filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Check it out. <laughs> and if God came to us and he said, look, I know, I know that we're doing this whole Bruce Almighty thing and I made you God for a day. But you can't do that. You're going to have to come up with some other sign, some other physical sign. It can't be good looks. It can't be money in your wallet. It's going to have to be something else, like something that's a little bit, maybe, maybe a little bit strange or weird, but you're going to have to come up with something. You know what we would do? We would come up with some kind of unique birthmark under our arm. Somewhere no one would ever look. Just If people just wanted to know, they could say, so like, dude, are you, like, do you have the power of the Holy Spirit? And we'd go, yes, I do. Prove it. Come over in the corner. It's right there. See it? And they'd be like, me too. Rock on. That's the stuff we would come up with. Is that fair to say? But God comes up with a different plan. He comes up with tongues. And all I can tell you is this. When I think about why tongues, here's a couple verses I want to give you. Two reasons why I think God chose tongues. Number one, Proverbs 16:5. We have got to be cured of pride. We've got to be cured of pride. Proverbs 16.5 speaks about how much God hates the prideful. Pride is the sin that got Satan kicked out of heaven. Read, read the Bible. Here's what the Bible says. Satan one day went, I'm going to be like God. Actually, I'll probably be better. I'll be God 2.0. And God said, really? Ping! Got him kicked out. Pride. I will exalt myself higher than God. And God said, no, you won't. Have a nice trip. Kicked him out. And ever since that day, what do we struggle with? You might, well, no, I struggle with fear. No, you don't. You struggle with pride. Because you love yourself so much, you're scared something could happen to you. We struggle with pride. We are sure that we're more important than we really are. And so God, and at Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, he gave a sign that totally strikes at pride not only that james chapter 3 james chapter 3 talks about the tongue i mean out like i'm not going to make you hold your tongue and pull it out and do this but like it talks about this tongue like your actual physical tongue and do you know what it says i love the bible the bible is so clear and it doesn't sugarcoat anything james 3 6 says that your tongue The nicest person in here, your tongue is set on fire by hell. That's why, have you ever done this? You say something, you go, oh, oh I didn't mean to say that. It just came out. Parents, you hear that all the time, right? You go to your children and say, what are you, why'd you say that? Oh, I didn't mean it. But you said it. Oh, it just came out. The Bible says a lot about words, like they come from your heart. We get judged for careless words. I mean, scary verses about that kind of stuff. But the bottom line is, the tongue's hard to control. How many of you can say yes to that? It's hard to control this little thing. Like, and sometimes you say things that you didn't mean to. And sometimes we laugh when kids do it, right? Like the little joke about the really large woman who's backing up in Walmart, and the kid starts going, beep, 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 right? I mean, kids, kids don't have a filter. They just say it. Like, how'd that person get so ugly? Out loud. They say it out loud, right? 
These are the same kids that, you know, they come back from the party and go, I pooped in the party in the restaurant. Like, you know, they don't have a filter. They just say it. We grow up and we get a filter, so we try not to say it, but every now and then it comes out anyway because you can't control your tongue. So from God's perspective, if we could all just whoop, come up to God's perspective just for a moment and not make tongues as weird as we've made it, it makes a lot of sense that God would say, I'm going to give my church power so that they can go and proclaim to the world the gospel of my son, Jesus Christ. And in order for them to proclaim the gospel, they're going to need to have the power of using their tongue to actually do it. And I'm going to have to purify that thing because that tongue is set on fire by hell. Your armpit's not set on fire by hell, although I've smelled it and it's close. So what this means is there's no way for me to teach this that will make you comfortable. There's no way that I can teach it that will answer your questions. There's just none. Because if we could answer all the questions, then it would be easy. Right? There's no way I can teach it in a way that will make you not feel like, oh, this is weird. Because it cuts at our pride. Even Peter, I love it. You read the whole chapter too. Even Peter, like after everybody watches them and they hear these tongues, we talked about that last week, they hear people singing praise, talking praise of God and wonders of God in their own language. And the crowd says, these dudes are drunk. Even Peter didn't stand up and teach on the Holy Spirit. He just got up and said, no, we're not drunk. This is just about Jesus. Even he didn't try to answer questions. At some point, it's about trusting God and trusting that the way he designed it is far better than the way you and I would have designed it. We talked about that in the first week. I told you then, like when you get in the car and we journey through Acts, Acts 1-1 says that this whole book is going to be watching the church do and then learn because Jesus began to do and teach. And this is one of those times. When he just said to wait, and they just, they wait. Can you just imagine being the disciples just for a second? You're waiting for something that Jesus promised. He said it would give you power. So, are they, I mean, I'm thinking, when's the UPS guy showing up with dynamite, right? Like, I'm, that's how I'm thinking. And all of a sudden, like, boom, fires on people's heads, weird stuff's coming out of their mouths, other languages, and we don't really know what's going on. And somebody says to Peter, are you guys drunk? And he stands up and goes, no, we're not drunk. And he preaches his very first sermon. And then 3,000 people give their hearts to Jesus, not only give their hearts to Jesus, but they get baptized in the exact same day. At some point, do you not think the disciples looked at each other at the end of the day and said, that was kind of weird, but I liked it. Yes. What happens in Acts 2, I want you to write this down because I want to make sure you understand this. And then we're going to move on. What happens in Acts 2 was not so much about losing control as it was about giving up control. They weren't getting more of the Holy Spirit as much as the Holy Spirit was getting more of them. When I used to teach teenagers about this stuff, about the Holy Spirit and tongues, here's what I always told them. 
Man, when you get saved, the Bible's clear in Corinthians, you can't get saved without the Holy Spirit. It's not like God gives you a little drop of the Holy Spirit and goes, now I'm going to wait till you come back for more. You get the Holy Spirit. But guess what happens at Acts? The Holy Spirit gets you. You start to say to God, I don't want to just read about Jesus being Lord. I want, to, I want my hands to be your hands. I want my feet to be your feet. I want my tongue to speak your words. And he says, oh, oh, so what you're saying is you want me to consume you. And we say, yes, consume me, God. That's what happens in Acts chapter 2. That's what happens in the other four, other four verses I gave you in Acts. People start saying, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. I want more. I want God to do more through me. Come and consume me. Think about this. The more that we empty ourselves, the more room there is in our lives for God's power. Raise your hand if you've been on a mission trip. Okay, if you've been on a mission trip to another country, all right, I'm not necessarily going to say in America, but I know for sure if you go to another country, anybody that goes on a mission trip to another country, they always come back saying the same thing. And here's what they say. Those people don't have anything, but they have a love and a passion and a power for Jesus like I have not, I don't, I've never experienced that. Well, we want to make it really spiritual, but can we just make a real obvious practical principle? The more you empty yourself the more room there is for God. So when you don't have a lot of stuff, there's a lot of room for God in your life. But when you have a lot of stuff, there's not a lot of room for God. Next week, I mean, you do not want to miss next week. Next week, because I'm not, I'm not going to be preaching, I'm going to be sitting right here smiling because Koshi Baby's going to be here. And I know some of you know Koshi, some of you don't, but Koshi Baby is, he's the, the minister that we go to India to help. And he's going to be here teaching. And here's what you're going to find out about Koshi. He's about this tall. He's very small. He does not scream. He's just a regular dude, except for one very different feature. You just want to hear everything he has to say, because when he speaks, he has power. Here's why he has power. His life is threatened almost daily. He serves in a church next to a Hindu temple. People, like, Hindus actually come to his church ready to kill him, and then they get saved. He is the kind of guy that when he says, if I die, I die, he really means it. Like, if we say, if I die, I die, we're just quoting the dude from Rocky Four, Right? If he dies, he dies. But like when Koji says it, He's actually counted the cost, and he's totally okay with dying for the gospel. He has emptied himself. He has nothing except a lot of power from God. So it makes sense to me that what we see in Acts, what we see in our own life, is that when we give us le less of ourselves allows more of God. John 3.30 is where John the Baptist said, Jesus must increase, I must decrease. Peter was willing to pay a price and reputation in order to have the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you this question. Are you willing to surrender what you think is reasonable for what others may think is unreasonable? Are you willing to surrender what you think is reasonable for what others may think is unreasonable? 
before we move to the last area, let me just say this. I want to make sure that you understand something. This is not about playing a mental pros and cons game. This is not about you getting out a sheet of paper and putting a line down the middle and going pros, cons, and then going, well, the good part about the power of the Holy Spirit would be this and the bad's this. That's not what this is about because this is not mental. All of us, all of us, now really look at the person next to you. Just look at them. No matter if they look like an idiot or not, here's what I know about them. Every single person in this room knows how to choose crazy over safe. It's not even a spiritual principle. Let me give you a couple of examples. Business people. Business people, if you're an entrepreneur, you choose crazy over safe. Here's how you do it. You draw up a business plan. In the business plan, you take that to investors and you say to investors, hey, I need you to give me some seed money. And they go, well, well what's, what's that look like? They go, well, according to my business plan, I'm going to lose money for the first three years. I'm going to lose your money for the first three years. But in the fourth year, when things turn around, I'm going to give you back your money, and I'm going to start paying you back 10, 12, 15% interest. Entrepreneurs do things like that all the time. And if they really have the dream of their business in their belly and they can't give people to give them seed money, guess what they do? They let MasterCard fund their new business. They do things that make their family members go nuts. They do things that their friends look at them and go, you are crazy. And they go, I don't think I'm crazy at all because it's going to pay off in year four. That's not even about following Jesus. That's just business, right? That's all that is. Students. Students who have heard their parents say the only way you're going to go to college is to get a scholarship. You know what they do? They study like crazy. Or they don't ever study and they play a sport like crazy. But they're doing something like crazy because their only shot is a scholarship. Students who are on a scholarship and have to keep a certain GPA, guess what they do? They study like crazy. Maybe just a couple nights during the semester when they're cramming for that test. But they're crazy when they're studying, right? They're all over it. Athletes, athletes who will throw everything they have into training in hopes of a great victory. You, you know Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant has this training plan. It's evil. It's called the 666 plan. Six hours a day, six days a week, six months a year. That's evil. I mean, 777 would be better, right? Herschel Walker, there's an older name. Herschel Walker, you may or may not know him. He played the University of Georgia, was a fantastic running back, um, was the key figure in probably the biggest and dumbest trade ever made in the NFL because I think the Dallas Cowboys got him and gave away like 100 people. I don't know, it was crazy. But here, here was his training method. He never lifted weights. All he did was every, everybody say every, every morning when he woke up, he did 3,500 sit-ups and 1,000 push-ups. Everybody say every. That means when he didn't feel good, that means on Sundays before church, that, I mean, he 3,500 sit-ups and 1,000 push-ups every day. At some point, somebody close to Herschel Walker who lived with him, maybe it's a brother, a spouse, a parent, somebody had to go, dude, seriously, today can you just give it a rest? Can you, his mom's walking in going, are you going to replace the carpet? I mean, this thing stinks. Didn't matter. Every day. Um, 
How about various Olympic athletes? I've got a commercial we're going to show you. I love this commercial from the, the past Olympics. It just kind of highlights it. Take a day off? I don't even take a morning off. I haven't ordered dessert in two years. You know that best-selling book everyone loves? I haven't read it. I haven't watched TV since last summer. Hey, I've been busy. City is proud to sponsor our dedicated U.S. athletes every step of the way. Not ordering dessert for two years. I didn't see the movie, didn't read the book. We, we see this stuff every day. What I want you to understand is this is not even a spiritual principle. This is just successful principle. That's all it is. How bad do you want it, right? Um, I mean, hey, Thomas. <laughs> Thomas, he does MMA. I mean, I, you just have a conversation with Thomas. Ask him stuff he does when he trains. And you'll walk away going, dude's crazy. Dude is flat out insane. Some of you are doing insanity right now. You know why it's called insanity? Not because the workouts are insane, but because people hear about the workouts and go, you are insane. That's why it's called insanity. I mean, I'm not saying the workouts aren't hard, but it's the people, it's the way other people react to it. Hey, do this. Let's get a little spiritual. Do something crazy. I don't know, like read your Bible daily. And somebody in your family will start saying, do we have to read that today? Can we just eat supper? I mean, God's okay if we don't read it today. I mean, just go a little bit crazy. And people around you will start saying, you are losing it. We all understand the principle of sacrificing in order to succeed. But let me just throw this little caveat at you, okay? The reason why those aren't all great examples is because none of those go against pride. Because at the end of that, not eating dessert for two years that person is going to probably stand on the podium and get a gay wreath with a gold medal and they're going to watch the, uh, the flag go up and they're going to hear people singing and cheering their name. So a lot of people are willing to sacrifice in order to get the payback. But the Holy Spirit says, are you willing to surrender and pay the price of your reputation so that he can be exalted? Not about me and you. That's the difference here. Now, before we go to the third one, I want to make sure you understand something, okay? Everybody say love. Say it like love. Listen, I want you to understand this, okay? God's a God of love, right? He's a God of love. And here's what that means. It doesn't mean that he will never stretch you. Uh, you can just jot down Mark 2, 22. Because if, if we're going to carry a spirit, he's going to have to stretch us, all right? Any of you ever stretch when you're doing sports? Do you like stretching? You do like stretching? I like stretching okay until it really hurts. And then I'm not into stretching, right? Stretching is not always fun. Here's what Mark chapter 2, starting verse 21, says this. Jesus is talking. He says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making it tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will, will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. Do you know why he has to have new wineskins? 
Because the new wineskins could breathe. They could stretch. They were flexible. If you literally, if you had old wineskins and put new wine into it, it would be like a balloon bursting. And if people were really into the wine, they'd cry, right? Oh, no, the wine's on the dirt. You got new wineskins, pour the new wine into it. Listen, God's given us some new wine. That's just a picture of the, of the Holy Spirit. And so in Acts, what does he do? He uses, he uses a method that stretches us so that we can actually carry the wine. He stretches us in the area of our pride. He doesn't push you. He's more about the invite than about might. And here's what that means. It means that you and I always have an out. Say out. Say out. That was your only chance to wake the person up, up that's next to you. We're almost done. Here's why God gives you an out. Because he loves you. He loves you. You know what he did in Acts chapter 2? He gave them an out. They could have chosen to not go back to Jerusalem, right? There's an out. They could have chosen not to wait. There's another out. When they first started seeing, like, the kerosene flame or whatever coming through the ceiling, they could have been like, I'm out of here. <laughs> out. Even when tongues were on, the fire was on them, and people started speaking in other languages, they could have stopped it there and not gone out to the street to explain to the crazy mob what was going on. God always gives an out because he is more about the invite than he is about the might. And it's the same with you and with me. God is interested in wooing us to him more than wowing us. And he wants to give us the power that we need to do what he wants us to do because that's what loving fathers do. Can you imagine me telling my kids to do something that's impossible? Oh, you can imagine me doing that? Thank you so much. <laughs> If I was always telling my kids to do something that it was impossible for them to do, am I a good dad or a bad dad? It's an easy answer. Am I a good dad or a bad dad? I'm a bad dad. I'm a bad dad. You're a bad, bad dad. God doesn't just call us to do the impossible. He actually gives us the power to do the impossible. Philippians 2.13 says that what God does in our lives is this. He gives us the power to not only want what he wants, but to be able to do what he wants. The way the verse words it is this. God is at work in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. What's the big difference between the before picture and the after picture? The skinny kid and the, wow, he looks awesome. It's not want to. It's just doing it. Nike had it right. Just do it. The problem is you and I don't have any power to do it. Because it's a spiritual thing, and we don't have power for that unless he gives it to us. All right? So here's the third thing, and we're going to wrap it up. Y'all did so good hanging on through that. We pay the bill in our routine. Now, routine's one of those things that we all say we hate, but we all have. Right? Everybody's like, I hate routine. Yeah, whatever. You put the same leg in your pants the same way every morning. And try it the other way tomorrow, and you'll fall over. Just have a camera running because it would be a great video. We're all about routine. So the third area, it's, a little, it's kind of related to the um, area of resources, but the end of the second chapter mentions a change in the routine of the early church. So I want to mention it here, even though more than likely you're still thinking about tongues, but that's okay. The early church was so consumed by the power of the Holy Spirit that it led to a radical change in their routine. They were no longer content to see each other once a week at the synagogue. The end of chapter 2 says that they began to devote themselves. They, 
they found themselves getting together on the other six days of the week. They found that they were eating together, praying together, ministering together. Their entire spiritual routine changed. Their willingness to change it allowed the power of the Holy Spirit to continue to move in the church. Let me just point this out to you, okay? Acts chapter 2, after Peter preaches his fantastic message about Jesus, the Bible says that 3,000 people came to know Jesus that day. Verse 41, those that accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That was a fantastic day. Would you agree? If we had 3,000 people come in here and, like, give their hearts to Jesus and join the church, we'd be like, wow, Connie, we need a bigger coffee shop, please. be an awesome day. And look, the North American Christian Church is all about awesome days. We are. We walk out and go, man, today was awesome in church. What a, what a great Sunday. I mean, Phil was on it today. I mean, when he hit that note, like, and he, sound, he didn't even sound like a girl. It was amazing. He was just like, Love! and it was there. And then Jennifer came in with a harmony, and, like, literally I got chills. And then Paul started teaching. I've never heard Paul teach good before, but today, Wow. I mean, the dude was all over it. What a great day. I mean, do you see that in the culture of American church? We're all about great days. God's not about great days. He's about great lives. And so what happens at the end of Acts chapter 2, it's one thing for 3,000 to be added to their number that day. But if you start reading in verse 42, and you see that they devoted themselves to teaching, to fellowship, to prayer, to eating together. That's awesome. That they saw signs and wonders. They had everything in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and give it to anybody who had need, which is great news for those of us in here that have need, right? You're like, man, can we do, can we do that part? I like that. They do all this stuff, and what happens at the end of this chapter? And the Lord added to their number. How often did he add to their number? Daily. He added to their number daily those who were being saved. Christianity went from being a one big event deal to an everyday event that led to people being added to their number every single day. So here's what it means for us. First, I'm giving you an out. I'm just going to give you an out. We're on a journey through Acts. You don't have to apply it. It's, a, it's enough if you just read it and learn from it, okay? You don't have to do it. You're like, are we going to have like a line where you like hit people and stuff like that? We're not going to have a line where I hit people and make you speak in other languages because I can't do that, okay? We're just on a journey through the book of Acts, and we're asking the question, if we trust God like they did, what could God do? What I want you to know is that it will cost us something because greatness always does. And greatness in the kingdom of God is not any different than greatness in business. It's all going to cost you something. But if we see our need of it, if we value it, we'll find ourselves willing to pay any price in order to have it. We'll be just like I was in my college years, early college years. Listen, I was so desperate for the power of God. And I'm not making fun, okay? I'm just telling you the honest truth. Literally. If I'd have been in a church service and the pastor had gotten up and said, everybody just close your eyes and bow your head. 
If you're here today and you're a car thief and you just want to repent and just come ask God to forgive you, just raise your hand. Dude, I'm raising my hand. I'm not a car thief, but I'll raise my hand. If you're here and you kill bunnies on a regular basis, that's me. I'm going down to the... I mean, I would do anything to get to the altar. I would do anything to be in the presence of God, anything to have more power from God. Because when you're that hungry, when you're that desperate, it just doesn't matter anymore. And so when I went to a camp one year and the speaker got up and said, if you want power from God, you can have power from God. And I went, I want power from God. I mean, like I'm stealing cars and killing monies. I want power from God. I need power from God. And he said, then I just want to invite you to come down and we're going to pray for you. And you know what's going to happen? In the book of Acts, when they got power, they started to speak in other languages. And I kind of went, whoa, like Spanish? Just, uh, uh, we don't know, just other languages. But that's like an Acts, right? Like when I come down, is, is that, is that going to happen to me? Because probably. And I went, but I get power, right? Yeah. Dude, I'm in. Go. It just didn't matter anymore. It just did not matter. And I want you to understand something. If it matters to you, if it's still about pride, we love you. Love you. We'll never push you, make you, nothing like that. This is not about power and manipulation on our end. This is just about the power of God. And here's what I know happens. At some point, we all start to get hungry. It's like right now you're hungry for real food, right? But at some point, we all start to get hungry, and we start saying to ourselves, I just want, God, I just want more of you. I just want more of you, God. And he gives us more of him. And the price tag becomes a little bit irrelevant. It's as simple as that. When you're hungry enough, the price tag doesn't matter as much. Some of us won't respond the way I did, and I know that. Some will choose a safer route. Some of us will choose to make God's kingdom still all about us. The good news for you is there's a lot of churches to choose from. I don't want you to go to them. I want you to be here with us. I want to walk with you on a journey. I want us to go together towards power and towards the cross and towards the gospel and seeing a county filled. But at the end of the day, if our pride is so important to us that we can't just trust God, the good news is you can still go to church because there's lots of churches that are okay with that. But here, man, we are hungry to see the power of God move hungry for it and if it means that we become like the spiritual thomas that does crazy mma stuff then i guess we'll just be crazy people that do desperate things for god the good news is you never have to do anything crazy you never get made to do it that way i want you to understand this and then we're going to wrap up and pray because it's, it's got to be late now just real quick okay i'm not trying to be funny i'm just trying to set you a little bit at ease and let me give you this to set you at ease too. Not only do we have community groups, um, but I got a phone. I got a phone number. I ha you can text me. Man, we're all about dialogue and pushing back. I love it when we get asked questions. I love it when I get asked questions and I, my answer is I have no clue, but we'll figure it out. You know, usually people look at you like I thought you were wise. I tried to grow the beard for today so I could appear wise. Text me. 
ask, ask your community group leader. Ask a question. We're not one of those churches where you can't ask questions, where you can say stuff like, well, I've been thinking about this, and does it mean this and that and that? But let me tell you what it doesn't mean, okay? Real quick testimony, my testimony. I was so sure that if I experienced anything remotely like Acts chapter 2, that as a high school senior, I was going to go to Albemarle Senior High School, I was going to walk down the hall on my way to class, and God was going to do this. He was going to reach down and grab my tongue and like, throw me up against a locker and make me start speaking weird stuff in front of all my friends. And I was like, God, please, don't do that to me. And then God's like, why would you think I would do that? I, I don't do that. I'm a gentleman. Why would I do that? See, God's not about might. He's about the invite. He just says, I'd love to give you more power. Would you like more power? Not, I'm going to give you more power. <laughs> and there's a lot of churches that are like that too. There's a lot of people that are like that. They're about might, and you will do it this way. I'm telling you, our heart here is that, man, my life has been radically changed by the love of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Radically. And I just want God to do that in your life. Okay? So here's how we're going to do this. We're going to close this day off. We're going to have a meeting about India. By the way, if you're interested in going to India, just come meet us right up here because we're going to have a meeting about that. And Tuesday night, Connie has prayer in this in this coffee shop, seven o'clock, right? Tuesday night, we're just going to come back on. We're just going to come back Tuesday night, seven o'clock. If you're if this is something you you're like, you know, I want I want to know more about this. I'm curious, a little bit nervous, I'm a little hesitant, you know, but I'm curious. Come meet us here on Tuesday night. We're just going to hang out with God. We're going to pray for each other and trust that he'll move the way he does. If you can't wait till Tuesday night, come on up here. I'll pray with you today. Okay? Does that make sense? If you got questions, write them down. Send them to me. I love questions. We good? All right. Everybody wants to go eat Mexican. They're like, shut up, dude. Let's go eat Mexican. What are you doing? Let me pray for you, okay? We're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for the offering. And then when we, finish, when we finish up this morning, you come up here and meet with us about India. If you'd like to pray, if you'd like to pray about having more power in your life, you come back Tuesday night. We're going to pray about that. If you don't, wait, if you don't want to wait till Tuesday, that's cool. Come get me right now. I'll pray with you right now.